it's it's the echo of what you're saying. Is the YouTube live going to work? All right, do we still have the echo? Okay, thank you, Marilyn. I am so honored to be here. And thank you to those who have joined. This tells me that you are kind, caring people. You care about the environment in your workplace. You care about how other feels. So kudos for you for taking time out of your day to be here. So I'm gonna go ahead and share my screen. All right, so are you seeing my screen? Okay, great. So our topic today is use your emotions, don't let your emotions use you. And I think we can all agree that it's important in the workplace for us to be calm and confident. In fact, we like to think of it as a natural state, the state we want to be in the majority of the time. And that's where we're feeling happy, calm, relaxed, ready and willing to serve. And this is when we can really get in the zone and do our best work. We have the best interactions. Our clear, we think more clearly. We're more effective as leaders when we're able to be in this natural state of feeling happy. So I want to tell you about an experience I had when I allowed my emotions to use you. This was early in my teaching career. I had just accepted a new job. It was my second school. I had had really good success at the first school. So I came to this new job feeling very confident, almost to the point of being cocky. 
And I didn't make allowances for that adjustment that I would be the new person on the team and that I would need to give them time to get to know me and learn to trust me and accept that I deserved their respect and consideration. So I became impatient and annoyed and really made some foolish mistakes, said and did things that I later regretted and that which took me quite a bit of time to live down. So I needed to learn how to not allow my emotions to use me. And that's what we wanna start with first. And I, there we go. Okay. So first of all, what is an emotion? And Merriam-Webster defined it as a conscious mental reaction, such as anger or fear. It's subjectively experienced as a strong feeling, usually directed toward a specific object and typically accompanied by physiological and behavioral changes in the body. And can't we relate to that? Emotions can raise our blood pressure or bring it down. It can increase our heart rate. It can bring the blood to our face. Emotions truly have a powerful impact on us. They affect our mental, our physical, and our behavior. Our behavior is, probably, is most accurately based on emotions, what we're feeling. Excuse me. There are many authors and public speakers who also define emotion as energy in motion. And this makes sense when you consider that the Latin root for, mo for motion and emotion is essentially the same. Motion means move and the prefix E means out. So emotion means move out. They're very closely connected. And emotions do have a powerful effect on us. Some can even become addictive. Have you ever known anyone who seems to really enjoy getting angry? It's like they love that adrenaline rush, that puffed up feeling, they feel stronger, more powerful. Emotions, some emotions can become addictive. So how many are there? Well, in the 1970s, Paul Ekman came up with six basic emotions, happiness, sadness, fear, disgust, anger, and surprise. Later on, he added a few more to the list like pride, shame, embarrassment, excitement. But this is rather a, a simplistic view of emotions. Later on, psychologist Robert Pluchek put forth a, a wheel of emotions. It's much like the color wheel. The idea that different feelings can be combined to create even new feelings, just like different colors can be combined to create new shades. And then in 2017, a study was published that was based on 2,185 short videos. And each video was designed to elicit some sort of an emotional response. 
they each video was shown to seven different people. They gathered the data that each person reported on the feelings they felt from this video. And the data was compiled to create this large interactive map. You can see on their website, it's really fascinating. As you scroll your mouse around, it'll show the various videos and the feelings that were elicited. Well, they found these, they came up with 27 different categories or distinct varieties of reported emotional experience. And they found the boundaries between the categories are rather fuzzy. And this is probably a more accurate assessment of emotions because we rarely feel just one emotion. There can be some sadness mixed in with the happy news, or we can feel some apprehension along with the excitement. So emotions can be very complex and they certainly play a large role in our lives. Are they good or bad? Well, we talked about the natural state, the state we wanna be in the majority of the time when we're feeling happy, confident, competent, secure. And a lot of people claim that you can choose happiness. That's certainly an emotion we want. And I agree, I, I do believe you can choose happiness and I'll get into that in more detail later. But be aware that there are hormones produced in your brain that create or increase your feelings of well-being or happiness. And three of those emo emotion, three of those hormones, endorphins, serotonin, and dopamine, are increased when we exercise. So just be aware that that daily workout is not only providing you with physical benefits, but emotional benefits as well. Now we're worried about some of the other emotions. Anger can result in damage to property, injury to people. Sadness we equate with being down and that's not where we want to be. And fear can block us. It can keep us from taking risk and moving our career forward. So there may be the temptation to consider those bad emotions. But used effectively, anger freed the slaves, got women the vote. Anger has righted a lot of social injustices because anger motivates you to take action, to do something. Sadness can help you understand yourself better, help you learn and identify what you need to change in your life. Embarrassment can teach us a lesson. I think we've all had that experience where we said, I'm not gonna do that again. And fear can save your life. In cases of actual danger, fear quickens your senses. It gives you that adrenaline rush so you can respond quickly. It was essential for our ancestors who had to escape wild animals. But the challenge in our modern life is that we don't often have to run away from a wild animal. Most of the fear we experience now is perceived fear. 
it's not life-threatening. And sometimes we need to stop and analyze the difference. Apprehension or nervousness can motivate you to prepare. Say you know that next week is your performance review. You can be just sick to your stomach worrying about it, or you can think about what you can do to get ready for it. Some steps that can improve your performance. Insecurity can motivate you to improve. So they've just hired someone new on your team and she is amazing. She is so competent and on the ball and you are so afraid she's gonna beat you to that promotion even though you've been with the company longer. You could dwell on that or you could use that insecurity to motivate you to look at how you can improve your work performance and how you can be a more successful candidate for that opening promotion. Emotions themselves are neither good nor bad. It's how we use them that makes the difference. So where do they come from? Well, it's tempting to think that they come from outside events because we talk about someone making us angry and getting stuck in traffic makes us furious. But if they came from outside sources, we would always have the same response. We would always be upset when it rains and we aren't. And when we go to the movies and movies are designed to evoke our emotions, we would always respond the same way. We would always be terrified in a horror movie. We'd always cry in a sad movie, but we don't. The reality is emotions come from our thoughts. And I would like to share a quote with you by Viktor Frankl. He wrote, before I share the quote, I wanna share an example. You're at work, you have a project due, you're collaborating with one of your coworkers. You've done your part, it's all done. You've taken it to them to finish. You're nervous, you walk by their workspace to see how it's coming and you see him just sitting there staring at the wall. What, are you, what would be your thoughts at that point? They might be something like, I always get stuck with doing everything. What is the matter with him? And thoughts like that would probably lead to emotions of frustration, anger, annoyance. And feeling those emotions, you might march in and demand to know what he's doing, what is he thinking, and express some of that anger. Now let's replay that. You're working on the project, you've done your part, you took it to your coworker, you walk by his workplace, but you know that his wife has just been diagnosed with terminal cancer. Now, what are your thoughts when you see him sitting there staring at the wall? You might think, I hope he's okay. Maybe he needs more support. And those thoughts would lead to very different emotions. You may feel emotions of compassion, 
and concern, a willingness to help him out. So emotions come from our thoughts. And now the quote from Viktor Frankl. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. Viktor Frankl was a Jewish psychologist during World War II. He was incarcerated in a concentration camp for a long period of time. I think we can all agree that that would qualify as an extremely stressful situation. And he was intrigued with what made the difference between the prisoners who just gave up and died and the prisoners who went about serving. They would give them their last piece of bread. They had a determination to live. And so he studied this and he wrote the book, Man's Search for Meaning. And in this book, he wrote, and he learned from personal experience, everything can be taken from a man but one thing. The last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. Our emotions come from our thoughts. And then those emotions lead to our behavior. And it's our behavior that brings about our results. Change your thoughts, change your life. It really is true. We can do that. And even with this in mind, have you ever had the experience when you felt you were totally hijacked by your emotions? So you're in your natural state and you see that your coworker isn't carrying up his end of the responsibility. And the next thing you know, you've exploded at that coworker. You thought you were ready for that presentation, but as soon as you stood up and looked at that sea of faces, you couldn't even remember your name. Or you fully intended to get a lot of work done. You knew that, you know that deadline is looming. But you just heard that song on the radio, that song that you and your ex considered your song. And suddenly you don't feel like working. You just can't make yourself do it. I think we've all had experiences like that. Like I did with my first job, feeling like I had to prove they should respect me. I want to show you three steps you can take to reduce the number of times this happens to you. Now we talk about your emotions being hijacked, but in reality, we know there are certain circumstances that we're gonna respond to in an emotional way. Maybe it's being late for work, or maybe it is giving that presentation or being in a traffic jam. I want you to notice this picture right here. It's a mother and daughter. And I don't know if you can see, but the mother has just thrown that daughter's cell phone. Sometimes there are events that happen at home that trigger emotions we then take with us to work. 
So the first step is to be aware of your triggers. Know what sets you off. Be aware of those situations that are likely to end up in being an emotional hijacking. Once you've identified them, that's you can begin work. And the next step is to tap into your ideal self. You already know what doesn't work. The response you've been providing is not getting you the results you want. So what would? What result do you want? How do you want to respond? If you were the person you wish to be, if you were your ideal self, how would you respond in that situation when you're standing in front of your, your organization to give your presentation? How does someone you admire respond? So identify that ideal response, the way you want to react in that situation. How do you want to react when you're stuck in traffic? And then make a plan on what you could do to change that reaction. If you know it really sets you off every time your teenagers whip out their phones at the dinner table, what can you do? Could you have a policy of the phones go into the box on the counter? But come up with a plan that's going to lead to your ideal response and then just visualize that ideal response. See yourself doing, responding in that ideal manner. You know, athletes use this all the time. A golfer will visualize dropping that perfect putt so many times and so frequently that when he steps out on the green, it happens automatically. Your central nervous system doesn't know the difference between what's real and what's imagined. Consider how vivid your response is in a really good horror movie. Is there really a monster in the room or did you just imagine one? And then of course, just implement your plan. Put it into place. If you know that being late to work stresses you out, set the alarm earlier. Get out everything ready in the morning. Have everything ready in advance. You know you hate that commute home at the end of the day. Could you go work out at the gym for an hour before you go home? Change your route. Find a route that is less congested. Change your mental state. Choose better thoughts. And sometimes it seems overwhelmingly difficult to change a thought. We feel like this thought is so strong. How can I possibly get rid of it? I want to suggest something to you. It's just called thought stopping. And here's an example. When I was in my teen years, early adulthood, I tended to think rather negative thoughts about myself. I would dwell on my faults, my mistakes. And there was a song that was popular at that time. I, I don't remember the artist, but it was a woman and she was singing about a very serious breakup. And the, the, the chorus was something to the effect of, you're no good, you're no good, you're no good. I would sing that song to myself. 
I really did that. Until I learned better, until I learned this doesn't serve me, this isn't helping me. And so I learned anytime I started thinking negative thoughts about myself, I would recognize first I'm singing that song again. And then I would immediately replace it with something I liked about myself. Actually, I like my hair. I really, it's naturally curly and I like that. Or I would think of something I had done right that day. Why do we only think about what we do wrong? I would take some time to congratulate myself on an accomplishment, but I would recognize the thought and immediately change it, replace it with something else, replace it with a better song. So what about those times you hadn't recognized this was a situation that could derail you, but something happens that just you weren't planning on. Your supervisor says something that makes you want to hit him in the face. For those unexpected moments, remember to breathe. When we're upset and angry, it's natural to hold our breath. But the purpose of breathing is to release toxins. So you're just holding them in when you hold your breath. According to the Mayo Clinic, deep breathing increases focus and it improves your mood by releasing endorphins, those happy hormones. Deep breathing signals to your central nervous system that it's time to relax. Deep breathing is a powerful tool and you'll hear it from health coaches, yoga instructors, a lot of physical and emotional benefits with deep breathing. I teach a hypnobreathing class and we, and I'm sure we can all agree that childbirth would be an extremely stressful situation. And we learn a lot of breathing techniques. And the one we use most frequently is called calm breathing. And it consists of breathing into the count of four and out to the count of eight. And it's very intentional that the exhale is longer than the inhale. And let me tell you why. When you're breathing in, you activate the sympathetic nervous system. And that's the part of your, your nervous system that's over fight or flight. But when you exhale, you're activating the parasympathetic nervous system. And that's the part that helps you relax and calm down. So keep the exhale longer than the inhale. Breathe. And in that case of what your boss said, you know, people used to say count to 10. And I think the value there is pause. Use that pause for deep breathing. And then remember your long-term objectives. If your long-term objective is to stay with this job, then you'll, you'll find a better solution than hitting them in the face. And though this wasn't one of your triggers, this situation could be closely related to one of the other situations that triggers you. So just implement the plan from that. So we've talked about how to not let your emotions use you. 
Now I want to go into how we can more specifically use our emotions, especially to reach our goals. Now, if emotions are just energy in motion, why not use them as energy? Energy can be converted. Electricity can be used to power your computer, run the coffee maker, cool the office, wash your clothes. So why not convert this energy? So you've taken time to do your deep breathing. Now, focus on your goals. What do you want? What you focus on expands. You'll get more of what you're focusing on. So focus on what you want. If you haven't already, write down your goals. Some people like to start this by writing down an essay of where they want to be five years from now. And make this detailed. Where do you want to be living? What kind of a house do you want to be living in? Who do you, what people do you want in your life? What kind of a job do you want to have? What kind of work do you want to be doing? What kind of an income do you want to be earning? What kind of a car do you want to be driving? What type of relationships do you want? Think about where you want to be five years from now. And then you can think about shorter term goals that will get you to that five-year ideal. I like to write goals in 12 weeks, quarterly. This is what I want to accomplish in this 12-week period of time. Then I can break that down into weekly goals. This is what I want to get done this week. And the weekly goals are in alignment with the quarterly goals. I can even break it down to daily. I like to think of my big three, the three most important things I need to do that day. It's like the boy plowing the field. He's for the first time, he's staring down there at the plow, really focusing on making a nice straight furrow. When he gets to the other end of the field, he turns around and looks back and it is anything but straight. His father's watching him and he says, son, you need to pick a point at the opposite end of the field and focus on that. That's how you get a straight furrow. And the same is true in life. When we focus on what you want, on your goals, you'll make a straight line there. Now I want to share with you a time when I was able to use my emotions to help me reach my goals. The setting, let me give you the backstory. I was, I, I mentioned I'm a retired school teacher. I thought later in my career that I had found my dream job. I was it's a sixth grade teacher at a charter school. I had spent some time researching charter schools, I loved the concept, I loved the energy, the innovation, the flexibility. My goal was to be the most effective teacher possible, to really make a difference and change lives. And I really felt that this charter school was gonna let me do that. I was so excited when I found out they had offered me the job. I loved it. I loved the coworkers really enjoyed the students. And 
if there was a lot of pressure, I put in longer hours at that school than I ever had before. And I really felt like I was being stretched. But I enjoyed it. I felt like I really, it was really giving me an opportunity to stretch myself and give my best. Towards the end of the school year, when I went in for my annual review, I was informed that they were not renewing my contract and I would not be coming back to that school. So I was totally blindsided. I did not expect that. So I had to focus on my goals. My goals were to be an effective teacher, to make a difference. And so I had to start there. Then I had to identify the emotion, and I, emotion or emotions, as again, we rarely have just one emotion. I think I went through all 27. I was shocked. I was horrified. I was angry. I felt betrayed. I was resentful. I had done my best, and now they're not inviting me back. It wasn't fair. I think I went through all 27 of them. Now, in social situations, if someone says, how are you feeling? It sometimes may be advisable to say, I'm okay or fine when you really aren't, but don't ever do that with yourself. Always be honest with yourself in identifying emotions. And I had to be honest and, and be aware that some emotions can be secondary emotions like anger. I felt a lot of anger. And even I had, I still had three weeks of the school year to go. What was I going to do with those three weeks? And they had told me, you can take time off to find another job. And I was tempted to take a lot of days off and just sit home and feel sorry for myself. But I had to be honest and admit that underneath that anger, was a fear that I wouldn't be able to find another job. I was older. In school districts, the policy is that teachers have to be paid commensurate with their years of experience and their degree. I had a master's degree and several years experience. Would I be able to find another job? So I had to identify that fear and I had stick. I had to stick to my goal that I wanted to be an effective teacher. And my goal wasn't to stay at that school. My goal was to be an effective teacher. And I had to accept that I needed to be an effective teacher at another school. So I used that emotion, that fear, that anger towards finding another job. I was looking around at all of the possibilities, all of the options, all the schools that were hiring. I was going out on interviews. I was asking people. I was doing everything I could and using my energy, not only for that, but to meet my goal of being an effective teacher. I decided I am going to go to work. 
I'm going to be cheerful. I'm going to give my students my best. I'm going to fulfill every responsibility, even bus duty after school, you know, when the teachers have to stand out in the parking lot while the buses come, making sure nobody gets run over. I was going to do every bit of that job to the best of my ability for those three weeks because that was my goal. So that's what I did. And I did find another job. It was not a job I expected. I found a job at a private school, a residential treatment center for youth at risk. And to be honest, I never would have considered a job like that before. But I did now because I knew I needed another job. Now, the interesting thing is that that next job at the private school, that ended up being the job I retired from. That one ended up being the job that was the most challenging, but also the most rewarding. The one that really gave me an opportunity to change lives and make a difference. So I had all of those emotions, the anger, the unfairness, the regret, the fear. I used them to find another job and move on and kept focusing on being an effective teacher, the most effective teacher I could be. So what would happen if you saved every food container you ever bought, every drink cup, every hamburger wrapper, every French fries carton, every plastic bag from the grocery store, and you saved all of these containers for years? It's not a pleasant thought, is it? And yet we do this with our emotions. You may occasionally check yourself find yourself actually feeling an emotion of some time when you were offended two years ago or something that happened when you were in school. Robert Burns wrote a poem, Tam O'Shanter, and it's about a man who goes out drinking with his friends and his wife is home waiting for him. And there was a line in that poem. I read it when I was in high school, umpteen years ago, and I still remember it. It talks about his wife nursing her wrath to keep it warm. She wanted to be mad when he got home. We do that with our emotions. We hold on to them. Why do we do that? If you have use the energy from that emotion. You don't need it anymore. Let it go. There are many ways to do this. One way is to journal. Some people like to just go ahead, write it all down, get it out of your head onto paper, how you felt, the whole thing, and then destroy the paper in the most creative way you can think of. Burn it, shred it, whatever but get rid of it. 
You can think of those emotions as leaves that you just toss up in the air and let the wind take it away. Or if you want something more concrete, just visualize crunching them and just smack them into the trash can. Whatever works for you, but do not hold on to emotions that no longer serve you. Let them go and go back as quickly as you can to that natural state when you're feeling happy, confident, secure, ready to serve, and kind. Always remember kindness. Kindness at work, kindness at home, and most importantly, kindness to yourself. I really have enjoyed this opportunity and just want to remind you, I do have an ebook available um, through the Kindness at Work conference. Love to share that. And are there any questions or comments? You're welcome, but you know, I forgot the story that went with the calm breathing. One of my students told me that she was driving when she was rear-ended by a truck and she could feel herself just going into a panic attack. And then she remembered calm breathing and she started doing that. And she said it calmed her right down. She was able to handle it, you know, talk to the police officer, get the insurance information, and she was able to manage that crisis because she remembered calm breathing. Ha, ha, ha.
And that did not go as long as I thought it would. <laughs> when I, I didn't see, I couldn't see the clock until I, you know, stopped share screen. I thought, oh. <laughs> we can invite people to share their stories. <laughs> Hi, Heidi.